everybody, welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly slash bi-weekly baseball history podcast. I am one slash half of the show. My name is Jeff. The other half slash part of the show is Mark A. Johnson. Mark, how you doing? Yeah, how'd you know my nickname was Slash? That's that's uh Well, I'm a big Snake Pit fan. That's it. That's <laughs> it. No, it's going well, man. How's I heard the the weather is pretty crazy in your area of the woods. Yeah. Last time we recorded, I was in a sweatshirt and a hoodie, and now I am sweating again in the Two Strike Noise studio because it's over 90 degrees. No, <laughs> that's nice, man. It, it's uh, it's definitely fall here. Ugh. We have a little sun right now, but uh, it's not going to be for long. I, I'm envious, but uh, I am also, the reason we missed a week and everything's kind of screwed up here is I am uh, going to be in Pittsburgh uh, for work, so uh, it's going to be a little bit cooler there. I'm excited about that, <laughs> and I'm going to be at mm-hmm. hockey games, so that'll be good, too. Uh, but I am going to try and hit up, I believe there's a Roberto Clemente museum there. I need to I need to hit that up while I'm in Ooh, town. that'd be awesome. Yeah, I have not been to that yet, so I'm going to try to try to get some time and get there. But, Mark, we've got a lot to talk about. Uh, and uh, you know what? The postseason is here. Neither of our teams made it, so... There's no real BP. I mean, I guess, you know what? It's like we've got sponsors coming in and they're going to do BP. So let's get into BP anyway. Okay. Yeah. So uh, first of all, uh, the A's finished up the season in Anaheim against the Angels last, uh, well, I guess how many weekends ago when, when this is uh, getting out there. But the Angels had a fireworks show on their last Saturday night game of the season against the A's. And in fitting fashion, a tree outside of the stadium uh, in a parking lot caught on fire from the fireworks. And in just like a chef's kiss to their season, there's a picture of a bunch of angel fans standing around this tree, watching it burn. It's just, it's so appropriate for, you know, the, the high hopes they had even at the trading deadline. And then just to see it all go up in smoke. Yeah. Uh, Very sad story. I feel for them. Sometimes angel fans and A's fans are at odds, but you know, they had, they had people wearing sell shirts. They uh, chanted sell the team uh, when the A's were there. So I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, hopefully they'll have at least a trout next year. I don't know. Maybe they'll plant a new tree. The tree is replaceable. Shohei Otani, a little bit less so. Yeah, it's tougher to find those kind of guys. Yeah, tougher to, you can't really go to Costco and pick up a Shohei Otani. But, <laughs> no, uh, no. Let's see, Mark, just a... Uh, you know, the season's over. Our first season with the bigger bases, the pitch clock and the uh, the disengagement rule. I, I was trying to think, Mark, when was the last time you saw an actual hit and run? That's a good question. I don't remember seeing a whole lot this year. I, I can't remember one off the top of my head. I mean, I don't even really remember base stealers, uh, you know, looking in as they're running to see if the guy makes contact, you know, which is always kind of a sign of hit and runs. Uh, right. I, I think that the disengagements and, and the pitch timer and that kind of stuff seems to have done away with them, I guess, because it's easier to steal bases now. So you, I don't know. I mean, hit and yeah, runs sure. open up the open up the infield for the for the hitter. I just I just I'm wondering if anybody can can point to a game because i mean we can pull up through mlb.tv any game we want and and see an actual hit and run or is it just a thing of the past i don't know interesting and it makes me wonder why too i'm I'm wondering is it just because it's easier to steal bases now that they think it's a higher percentage of completing a straight steal than you know a hit and run working successfully 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Weird. Just, I don't know why I thought of that, but I, well, I know why I thought of it because I'm playing the show and I kind of quasi hit and run with Ricky all the time. So that's why I thought of that. But uh, another thing that got me to thinking uh, while I was playing the show is, was Tom Hanky ever referred to as Tom Hanky Panky? <laughs> that I recall, no. Why not? I mean, that just kind of writes itself, doesn't it? Tom Hanky Panky. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, these are things when you're playing the show for hours on end that start to creep into your mind. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Mark, Jeff Passan. That's a big name in baseball. I'm guessing most people listening to this podcast probably know who Jeff Passan is. If he puts something out there on uh, baseball social media, people pay attention. People dissect it. It's like uh, the, the people that dissect those cue drops. I mean, everything has got to mean something in his posts. He also, though has a very good sense of humor, which is appreciated. Randy Arozarena, likewise, is a big deal to baseball people, especially if you play the show, as, again, or you're a Rays fan. Uh, the Macarena, you know, likewise, was a big thing to baseball people in the mid to late 90s because you couldn't go to a baseball game without either the grounds crew doing the YMCA at some point or the Macarena being played in between innings to see how many people would actually embarrass themselves and do the dance. And, you know, when they did that, they could actually be put up on an actual Jumbotron at that point. <laughs> it's a real, we're talking a Jumbotron by name. An actual trademark Jumbotron. Yeah, they were still around then. Well, Jeff Passon, only a couple of decades late, but uh, here it is. He has released a song. I'm not sure that he's released it, but this is the uh, parody song that you didn't know you need. It is Jeff Passon singing the Macarena, or more specifically, the Arozarena. There's a guy who hits his name Randy Arozarena. Every time he takes a swing, it is a thing that's called Sabuena. Running around the bases, he's as fast as a hyena. Arozarena. There's a guy who hits his name Randy Arozarena. Every time he takes a swing, it is a thing that's called Sabuena. Running around the bases, he's as fast as a hyena. Arozarena. Uh, hyena is a bit of a stretch to... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to rhyme with Rosa Rosarena, but you know, I appreciate the effort by Jeff Passa. Oh yeah. I mean, you, you got to give him a thumbs up for giving it a shot. Yeah. So <laughs> now when Randy Rosarena first kind of came into, uh, into the baseball consciousness, I, it was not with the Cardinals who he came up with. It was with the, uh, I think he kind of broke out a couple of years ago in the playoffs for the, for the Rays. And yes. whenever I have heard his name since that first kind of playoff run, I have instantly seen another song uh, whenever I hear it. And it is by one of my all time favorite bands that I'm guessing people probably know the band, but probably don't know the song uh, off the uh, deluxe album by better than Ezra. There is a song called Rosalia. And this is, this is what it's the, the, uh, the chorus sounds like that. I always sing Randy Rosarena's name to. Randy Rosarena. See? It, Man, that fits perfect. I, doesn't it, though? I think there's there's plenty of songs that Randy Rosarena's name can be sung to, but uh, that just happens to be from... That's like a, an album, you know, if they, you get five albums and you, you're stuck on a desert island forever, that is one of my albums, so... 
Better than Ezra is awesome. I love I'm, I'm with you. Ezra. Yeah, I love better than Ezra. Uh, let's see. Another thing that uh, a lot of baseball people know about is Marlins man, right? Mm-hmm. Shows up in every big game, and except for the Marlins games, uh, with his uh, with his orange jersey on, he's got spiky uh, orange red hair, and he wears that uh, that visor, kind of like Steve Spurrier. Because I'm a big football fan, I know these things. Oh yeah. So he was at Game One between the Brewers and D-backs with two other very famous baseball fans. Famous fans being people who are known in the baseball community as fans, not like. You know, Rob Lowe supporting MLB in general with that Major League Baseball hat or anything. These aren't celebrity celebrities. They're baseball fandom celebrities. Uh, But he was sitting in the front row there right between Brewers mainstay front row Amy and the Eminem guy from the White Sox. (laughs) They were all there? It It was a virtual row of luminaries sitting behind home plate. Um yeah, I, I do, you know, the Marlins were playing on the same day, but he wasn't there uh, supporting mm. them. But uh, anyway, but I, w- I want to know this. When did impersonating Marlins man become such a big thing? Because here in the Bay Area, sometimes there are up to three or four fake Marlins man mans, I guess, sitting directly behind home plate for random weeknight games for both the A's and the Giants. What in the world? I don't understand why. Sometimes there's just one, and it's obviously a, a spiky wig, and it's obviously not him. But I don't—is he paying them to be there to like spread his brand or something? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. That's bizarre. Yeah. So a couple of years ago, there there's a horror movie called Smile, and we talked about this even on the podcast. They paid actors to sit right behind home plate and just stare straight ahead with this creepy smile for the entire ball game. It was part of the plot of the the movie is that these when you become infected or something, whatever, you, you get this creepy smile that you can't wipe off your face. And I remember they did it because the Yankees were in Oakland and they did it for uh, the Mets game and the Yankees game. And so they were sitting behind home plate and tickets I can't even get uh, for the A's game. So I was a little frustrated. Baseball is the only sport where fans can be seen every pitch for long amounts of time, which is another thing that differentiates it from every other sport. Lord knows I've been on TBS and ESPN for hours and hours uh, when I worked for Atlanta. <laughs> I would get phone calls on my on like that Nokia mobile, you know, everybody's first like mobile phone. Yes. Uh, asking, uh, f- you know, from friends asking me to signal them if I was OK. Uh, my <laughs> boss called me once and asked me to wave at him during the game. <laughs> Uh, one time, my wife, uh, girlfriend at the time, texted me that she was watching me on TBS while she was in a conference at Denver. So during the pitch, I got up, turned around and bent over to give her and the rest of America uh, a little treat of seeing my apple bottom. That was very nice. That was I also I'm pretty sure that was at the height of Nellie's career at that point. So that comment probably I think that was a, <laughs> I thought that was a pretty good uh, reference. But I, if I have you to know, explain it, you know, who I haven't seen in a long time and this is this goes along with our general history theme remember the guy with the rainbow colored afro (laughs) and said the john 316 that guy yeah well i haven't seen him in a while unlike marlin's man i i mean i think that because you just buy the rainbow wig and make a sign and anybody can do it because they were everywhere yeah i i agree i don't know what happened to him maybe he's a hermit now somewhere I remember uh, it was one of my first brushes with fame was running into that guy. 
Well, you're using the the term fame pretty. <laughs> well, when I was a kid, it was a big deal. I know. It's just like Crazy George. When Crazy George was at an A's game I was at, I was in awe of him. Despite the fact, you know, Ricky Henderson's there on the field, Crazy George is there, and that's going to catch my eye. That's right. Uh, so I saw this. There's a there's a subreddit called Unpopular Opinions, and it kind of bled over into the baseball subreddit. Uh, last week, uh, this was posted as an unpopular opinion where somebody said that they would take Ty Cobb over Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, you know, just career wise, if you've got to choose, mm-hmm. you got to choose one of those two, you know, who are you going to choose? And I, I looking at data here and I'm just curious, is this really an unpopular opinion or is this just I'm trying I'm trying to grasp this because they're both Hall of Famers. They're both incredible players. But if you look at the numbers, Ty Cobb blows away Ken Griffey Jr. in every category except for power. Sure. Which Ty Cobb played during the dead ball era. And we've discussed the story of Ty Cobb. If he wanted to hit home runs, just like Ichiro, he said, OK, I'm going to go out and hit home runs this game. And then he hit three. Right. So it just wasn't the way that, that baseball was played. Now, sure, I, I understand Ken Griffey Jr. is a especially for you, you know, being from Seattle, but I know for a lot of baseball fans, maybe a little bit younger than us. I mean, he was the coolest guy you could put out of there on the baseball field. No question. But if you're going to choose the career of one of those to be your franchise player, who's it going to be? Yeah, that's I mean, that's tough. They played in very different eras. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And one of those tools that we can use, which I know is kind of a lightning rod. uh, I love war. I don't, you know, war is not an all end all be all thing. It just, it helps to compare. It's not any kind of, you know, black and white kind of tool, but let's look at war between the two of them. Ken Griffey Jr. had an 83.8 war. Ty Cobb had a 151.4 war. So that's almost twice the amount of war. Interestingly enough, they both played almost the exact amount of same games. Uh, Ty Cobb played 1905. Griffey played 1989. Now, I think Griffey was hurt a lot more than Ty Cobb was, though. So, Mm -hmm. you know, some of these numbers, I mean, some of these numbers, Ty Cobb is way ahead. Uh, You know, so if if Griffey would have played, he wouldn't be catching up. But still, I mean, you got to take injuries into account. But I don't I don't know. I'm just, you know, Ty Cobb's average is, I mean, almost 100 points higher. Um, RBIs are almost the same. Ty Cobb does have more. Obviously, stolen bases, Ty Cobb blows away Griffey. Home runs, obviously, Griffey blows away Ty Cobb. Uh, so that goes for slugging as well. But you look at OPS, and, and Ty Cobb had a 944. Griffey had a 907. So both are elite, but there's still, you know, a 30-point difference in there. Right. Um, All-Stars didn't. There were no all-stars when Ty Cobb played. Uh, MVP slash slash uh, Chaucer. Is that what it was? The uh, Chauncey? What's the Yeah, what was that called? The something award. Chalmers. (laughs) Chalmers. Yeah, you did the story on that. That's why I was looking for you. Uh, One Chalmers award to one MVP award. Uh, Ty Cobb won 12 batting titles. Griffey won 10 gold gloves. Of course, there wasn't such a thing. Uh, Or silver sluggers. But Ty Cobb also won uh, a triple crown. So, I mean, there, he led the league in home runs one year, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I just don't think it's an unpopular opinion. Obviously, you couldn't go wrong either way. But I, 
when people post this is unpopular, yeah, it generally isn't. So, <laughs> <laughs> right. Just wanted to, I wanted to get your take on that because I, I know you're a big Griffey guy. Um, oh, yeah. Mark, this show is debuting. It's scheduled to. Again, I'm on the road, so I'm doing my best here. Uh, October 11th is when this is debuting. Now, we do have, I mean, obviously, we're getting into, uh, we're getting close to trivia territory <laughs> for instead yes. of debuts. But uh, October 11th, three Major League Baseball players have made their debuts today. Uh, that would be Pat Whitaker in 1888 and Sam Campbell and Horace Hembold in 1890. Oh, wow. Big celebrations <laughs> throughout the country for those guys. Uh, I'm sure each of these three players had some really interesting life stories, probably had some sort of farm accident. It's used uh, and probably played with, uh, you know, sticks and, and rocks. But uh, those are the three debuts for today. No, that, that works. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it doesn't have to be somebody we know. It just has to be debuts. So they've made their debut today. That's right. Very good. Uh, all right. That's going to do it for our BP segment. We're going to uh, the grounds crews just sipping on their their sodas and got their legs, uh, their feet kicked up as they're watching the sponsors swing and miss at like 50 mile per hour pitches. At least that's what happened last time I was taking BP books, but I didn't. You know, I didn't swing and miss, and it was faster than that. I digress. <laughs> All right. Uh, this is, uh, because it's kind of an odd week for us, uh, we're going to do a version of Tales from the Dugout here. Now, Mark, it's going to be a little bit different. You've got a story that we're going to get to here in a minute, but I'm going to go first, and I have compiled, I think we've done this once or twice before, I've compiled some trivia questions that I'm going to ask you and our listeners. So I'm going to ask those questions. Then we'll go do your story and then we'll come back and uh, you can uh, answer the questions. And then uh, I will you know, tell you if you're right or wrong and, and give everybody the answer and see how many of our listeners can, uh, you know, are they smarter than a podcast host? <laughs> Man, that would be a show that nobody would watch because we'd lose every time. Well, yeah, I know. Just from the, from the messages we get, Obviously, <laughs> I think every one of our listeners would beat us. But you know what? We there is no shame in that. We just love to talk baseball. So, uh, yeah. So let's get going here, Mark. Uh, I'm going to ask you. I got 10 questions here. I'm going to ask you these questions. If you want to think about them or answer them right away, that's cool. If not, I'll just go through them and then uh, we'll do your story and then we'll come back and and do some more thinking on these. But uh, are you all ready to go? Yeah, sure. I've got my uh, thinking cap on and and. It's kind of messing my hair up, but I can do it. Well, look, can we make it a thinking toque? Because I'm going to start out with some Canadian questions. Okay, I got my thinking toque on, eh? Yeah, all right. Don't <laughs> don't hork my uh, my uh, my spotlight here. Uh, let's see. In in honor of this podcast being a weekish late because of hockey season, let's start out with some questions about the Great White North here. Number one question. Name the four Canadians to have won a Major League Baseball MVP award. Ooh. Now, there's a little twist to that, but when we get to the answer, I'll tell you that. Question number two. What is the award called that is given annually to a Canadian baseball player who is, quote, judged to have excelled in individual achievement and team contribution while adhering to the highest ideals of the game of baseball, end quote. Ooh, I don't know if we got anybody that fits that uh, description oh, in baseball. We, oh, we got plenty. Okay. I, I've got some names, too, that I can uh, that I will tell you about when we when we get to this. But uh, question number three, who was the first winner 
of said award, which was given out for, for the first time in 1984. Hmm. I'm going to hold off on number four because it kind of gives you in the question, it kind of gives you an answer to uh, to some of the earlier questions. So just uh, know that there will be a fourth question, but I'm not going to give it to you just yet. Um, this will conclude our Canada only section. So we're now going to open up questions to include the entire planet. So number five. Who took Cal Ripken's place at third base when the Iron Man voluntarily sat down after playing 2,632 consecutive games in 1998? Ooh, yeah, okay. nobody thinks about that part. Who has the second, oh, this is question number six, by the way. Who has the second longest hitting streak after Joe DiMaggio's 56 that he, uh, that he did in 1941? Okay. Number seven is another question I'm going to have to hold off on because uh, it's part of it is the answer to question number six. Another streak question. Question number eight. Who holds the streak for consecutive games reaching base multiple times? <laughs> wow. Yeah. I I'd never thought of that, but... Uh, Question number nine, Ronald Acuna Jr. became the inaugural member of the 70-40 club this season, stealing 73 bases and clubbing 41 home runs. Equally impressive is the 2020-2020 club. That's 20 doubles, 20 triples, 20 home runs, and 20 stolen bases in a single season. There are only four members Frank Schulte was the first to do it for the Cubs in 1911. There have been only three others to accomplish this feat since, and you definitely know their names. How many of them can you name? Wow. 2020-2020 club. And the last question, who was the last player to make his major league debut that has all five vowels and a Y in their name? Okay. Wow. (laughs) All right. So. Uh, those are your those are your questions. You can uh, I don't know how much you can think about them because you're going to do a story now. But our listeners can certainly uh, hit pause, think about these questions, and then uh, you know let's see let's see how they stack up against you. Okay, fair enough. All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna hand the reins over to you. You do your story, and then we'll come back and we'll revisit these. Okay, sounds good. Okay, dude. So here's this is kind of interesting. Have you ever heard of Robert Cotter? C-O-T-T-E-R. Uh, I've, I've heard of Welcome Back, Cotter, and the Sweat right. Hogs, but uh, I don't know that there were many baseball references on that show. Right. They, they did welcome him back in, in Philadelphia <laughs> in 1998 as the fan of the century. Wow. Nice. Yeah. Now, the thing is, is that Mr. Cotter, <laughs> that's going to be fun calling him that. Let's just call him Robert. <laughs> what, what was the actor's name? Gabe somebody Gabe Kaplan yeah and he was a master uh, I'm sorry to go on this tangent but he was a master at the network uh, battle of the stars yes he, he was dominated so athletic and he just didn't look like it but yeah sorry to, to also derail a it poker player oh well there you go I didn't yes. know that part um well in 1922 Robert Cotter was at a Phillies game uh, and uh, he caught a foul ball all right so he just he put it in his pocket and he was 11 years old and the uh, ushers came over and said, give back the ball because back then balls were, you know, relatively expensive comparatively. And team owners were of course, penny pinchers as we have found out over the years. So that you were expected to just throw the ball back out on the field. Like if a, a, 
a basketball goes into the crowd, they just throw it back out and kill something like that. Well, Robert was like, no, I, I caught a ball. I'm going to keep it. So he refused to give it back. And they actually hauled him off to the police station and he spent a night in jail for not giving the ball back. I think that's a little harsh, but they apparently wanted to make an example of him. Uh, and so they charged him with larceny. And by the time his mom found out, she went down to the precinct and the courthouse was closed. So little little Robert had to spend the night in jail at age 11 for keeping a foul ball. <laughs> this was not good public relations. So... They, when they brought him back in 98, hey, we apologize. Here's a team autographed baseball, you know, and Robert's like, well, it took you long enough. Um, you should have thrown that one back. Yeah, there was there was another another guy you could look at um, in 1904. They started putting security employees in the stands that were going to retrieve foul balls. And so they, <laughs> these guys were running around trying to pull foul balls back from fans and and and. You know, the Cubs finally came out and said, uh, you know, this is really bad PR. Um, and he said, uh, it isn't always good business to be penny wise. Uh, nobody ever told. Well, there's a few guys that I can think of that nobody ever told that. <laughs> they, You know, if Zach Hample would have been around then, he would have been every team would have hired him to just <laughs> go in the right. stands and retrieve balls. Um, Judge Charles Brown ruled in favor of Cotter when they went to court. And he said, and I quote, such an act on the part of a boy is merely proof that he is following his most natural impulses. It is a thing I would do myself. So that was all over the paper and uh, very, very bad uh, publicity. What had happened actually a year before in 1921, uh, Ruben Berman, Giants fan, he was sitting in the box seats at the polo grounds and uh, a ball came his way. He grabbed it. And he, the usher came to get it and he just chucked it a bunch. He just tossed it like several rows back into another group of people. Well, they didn't like that. The Giants took him, picked, they took him from his seat. They took him to the office, yelled at him. They kicked him out of the stadium and gave him his ticket money back. Fred Knowles was the team secretary back then for the Giants. And he said, in the future, I will not be so lenient. And any person caught trying to steal a ball will be arrested and the complaint pushed. Wow. Okay. Mr. Berman was not satisfied with that, and uh, he came back with a $20,000 lawsuit alleging humiliation, loss of reputation, and mentally, mental and bodily duress. After the, uh, the Giants finally responded to him a year later, the case was tried, and the plaintiff, our friend uh, Berman, was paid $100. <laughs> so the Giants changed, changed their ballpark policy. It was called Ruben's Rule, and it allows fans to keep foul balls after catching them. And uh, ever since then, it's been uh, something to do to go to a ball game, hopefully to catch a ball. We have Robert Cotter and Ruben Berman to thank for that opportunity. Is that also the time when the uh, Yankees uh, banned Orioles hats from the uh, from the <laughs> special seats <laughs> from the commission box. Yes, from the owner's box. Yeah, that was the same exact time. There was a girl wearing a, a Orioles hat. Ah, oh, wow. Yeah, at Yankee Stadium. <laughs> it was weird because uh, in between innings, the, the it was the dance cam, and she got up and danced very oddly. Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. It was a thumb. Yeah, kicked out. Yeah, yeah real like, weird. Yeah, real weird stuff. <laughs> 
<laughs> we need to just make this. It's not long. It's no longer a baseball history podcast. It's a baseball Seinfeld history that's podcast. Right. Oh, that's very good. I so is it is it called the Rubin Rule throughout baseball or just Rubin's the, Rule was just what they called it back then in in New York, but uh, it's probably not known anymore as as Rubin's Rule. But uh, it certainly uh, was a disaster PR wise, and they rectified that. And now. We all want to catch a foul ball. Yeah. I have caught one, and that was in a minor league game. I caught oh. one during BP uh, at the Mariners in, in college, but I have a million game balls just through work. I've got a million of them, but I've, I've only caught one sure. from a in-play. I've never caught a home run from, a, you know, an actual game. I got one at the Mariners uh, when I was in college I caught during BP. But okay. Have you ever caught one? I mean, I, I know you likewise have a lot of uh, game balls, but I mean, have you ever caught one? I, I caught a few of them in the minor leagues as far as, uh, you know, for the Mariners and the big leagues at all. Uh, closest I ever caught was I had a Don Mattingly foul ball go off my hand oh. and somebody else got it. Ooh, that would have been nice. No, I've never gotten one in the bigs. I just, I'm curious, listeners, let us know how, how yeah. many, uh, you know, how many balls I know, uh, I mean, we just met up with, uh, with Marshall, one of our great listeners who, uh, is, uh, making, I think he's got 40 ballparks or something under his belt. Like he's been to a lot. I'm wondering how many of our listeners have caught actual balls, not during BP, or if you want to tell us, that's fine. Uh, you know, in play balls from a major league game and how many have caught a home run. Cause that's kind of like the, that's like the, the Holy grail. That's kind of like the Holy grail, right? The of penultimate. Catching. Yeah. Well, no, the penultimate is second to last. So it's, <laughs> no, it's not the penultimate. It is the Holy grail to catch a home run. Yes. And yeah, I'm curious. It, let us know. Anybody, uh, anybody's done that. Yeah. Let we'd us. love to hear your stories. Yeah, maybe we should do that. Maybe we should uh, open up the phone line again and have people call in and, and leave us your your baseball, you know, catching a baseball story. Uh, all right, Mark. Yeah, thank you. That was uh, that was good. We got to remember Ruben's rule. I'm just going to refer to it as Ruben's rule for now on. There you go. All right. Uh, let's get back to our trivia questions here and see how many of these you can get and uh, how many of our listeners can get. All right, Mark, so let's uh, go back to question number one. Four Canadians have won the MVP award in Major League Baseball. Can you name them? I, they, they're like, I just started thinking of popular Canadian ballplayers, and so a couple guys came to mind. Larry Walker. Mm-hmm. Uh, Justin Morneau. Yep. Joey Votto. There's three. I, I cannot think of another one, man. Um, you got to think back to the last Baseball World Classic. Before, you know, before this season, that one. Somebody that played for Canada, though he was born in the United States. I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Freddie Freeman. Oh, okay. Yep. So there's your uh, there's your four MVPs. Let's see. Uh, Morneau in 2006, Larry Walker in 1997, Joey Votto 2010, and then uh, 2020, Freddie Freeman. Okay. Yeah, I should have got that one. Uh, that, I mean, it's a little bit of a technicality. Because, you know, he was born in the United States, but his parents were Canadian. So he's got dual citizenship. Gotcha. All right. Uh, The next question was about the award given annually to the Canadian baseball player who, you know, yada, yada, individual achievement, team contribution, adhering to higher uh, highest ideals of the game of baseball. Do you know what that award is called? I actually do, because 
it's easy to confuse the award with uh, a former, former Speaker of the yep. House. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I remember seeing the Tip O'Neill Award and wondering if it was some kind of legislative award. <laughs> <laughs> There's it's a not. lot of those, a lot of legislate. <laughs> the the Sladies at every year is always a big deal, and uh, I, I hope to attend in person one day. <laughs> yes. So Tip O'Neill, you are absolutely correct. James Edward O'Neill, aka Tip O'Neill, aka the Woodstock Wonder, was the uh, Woodstock Wonder. Yeah, he was born in Springfield. And he died in Montreal and is buried, but he's buried in Woodstock, Ontario. I just assume anything in Ontario is a suburb of Toronto because I think that's all Ontario is. But I don't know. Go Leafs. Uh, let's see. Yeah. Tip O'Neill uh, played for 10 years in the big leagues. Wow. 1887. He had himself a year. Led the league in runs. Hits with 225, 52 doubles, 19 triples, 14 home runs, 123 RBIs, all of which led the league. Led the league in batting average with a 435, on base with 490, slugging with 691, and, you know, all of the associated OPS, OPS Plus, and total bases to go along with that. He led the league in all of those. If there was a Chalmers or an MVP award, I think he would have had that wrapped up. I think so, yeah. Yeah, uh, pretty good pretty good player but uh, yeah there you go tip o'neill the award uh, named after him so my next question uh, that i did not read you because it would give you have given you the answer there who won the first tip o'neill award in 1984 who the first yep i have no idea man I don't even, I... <laughs> well he was a member of your houston astros and he's a pitcher pitcher for the astros hmm yeah i don't know i i uh trying to think of anybody that was Canadian pitcher. Um, see, the only guy I can think of for the Astros that was Canadian was Terry Poole. <laughs> well, I'd go with that answer then, because that is correct. <laughs> He's an outfielder. But it doesn't matter. <laughs> okay. But, <Yeah. laughs> I mean, Tip, uh, Tip O'Neill was an outfielder as well. It, okay. it, this is I, not I thought a, you said pitcher. I apologize. No, yeah, I said he, oh, oh, I did say he was a pitcher, didn't I? That, yeah, I, no, I see. I was trying to trip you up, but okay. you fought through it. So <laughs> he was though, the first? Yeah, well, they just started handing it out in 1984. Oh, oh okay, that, well, that would make sense that and, he was the first and, in 84. He, yeah, he was the first. He hit 301 that year, 380 on base, uh, 19 doubles, seven triples, nine home runs, 55 RBI, 13 stolen bases. And, uh, wow, walked more than he struck out. 59 walks, 45 strikeouts. Wow, for Terry his career. Swimming pool. Yeah, <laughs> he was solid. I think I think nowadays he might be called Terry Deadpool. Ooh, yeah. possibly. 15 years in the big leagues, 14 with Houston, and then uh, final year in 1991, uh, only appeared in 15 games for the Royals. But for his career, he walked 505 times, struck out 507 times. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah, a good, I mean, a solid player. Uh, overall average of 280, a 349 career on base percentage. Yeah, I was always a fan. Yeah, that's underrated. Uh, some good, uh, good numbers there. All right. So let's see. Technically, you have gotten all of them correct. I gave you three out of four on the, uh, the first question. Okay. But uh, you're doing very well. So besides Justin Morneau, Larry Walker, Joey Votto, Terry Poole, and Tip O'Neill, Name as many other Canadian baseball players as you can. Hint, there are over 400 of them. 
<laughs> Give me. You want me to just start rattling what, them off? What, let's do a let's do a name that tune thing. Right? They used to say, remember, I I can name that tune in six notes. How many do you think you can name? What's a reasonable number? Five, uh, seven, seven. Okay, <laughs> let's hear them. Okay, do do I get to count the ones I already said? No, I specifically said in the question itself that you could not name those. Mm, okay, um, you want to change your answer now? <laughs> yeah, let me think. I'll give you this. Uh, here's one hint: professional hitter. Professional hitter. Actually, one just came to mind that wasn't a professional hitter, but I remember it being a big deal because he threw a, a no hitter for the Mariners when he was in. Canada and it was James Paxton. Okay. There's one. Yeah. The Mariners had another Canadian guy, Michael Saunders. Oh yeah. The condor, right? Yes. The condor. And he was never healthy. No, no <laughs> he was not that dude. And he would have been, he, he could have been really good too. He was, he had to, yeah, he was, he was solid. Um, how about is Matt Stairs from Canada? There you go. Professional hitter, Matt Stairs. There's three. There you go. Okay, that's what I was trying to figure out. Where am I at? You're at three. Oh, gee. You promised us seven. You said seven um, no problems. Yeah, I know. Uh, oh, 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 um, Rob Ducey. Oh, there you go. Ding, ding. Hitting coach. I played for the Blue Jays, I think, mainly, but hitting coach over in Korea for a while. Ah, another Mariner I'm thinking of, Eric Bedard. Oh, Eric Bedard. Uh, he was traded for Adam Jones, right? Yes. Oh, yes. boy, that was a great trade. <laughs> <laughs> boy, yeah. Uh, very good. There's five. <sighs> Just popped him into mind. Eric Gagne. Gagne. Gagne? Gagne? Eric Gagne. <laughs> the Dodgers one. <laughs> Eric Gagne. Uh, there you go. Ding, ding. 1999 through 2008. Very good. Family uh, is with Canadian wrestlers, weren't they? Uh, was he is he related to Vern Gagne? It was is Eric Gagne related to Vern Gagne? Is that what you're inferring, or are you yeah. just making a joke? Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, now I gotta look because I've never heard this, and this would be this would be incredible if it, if it was true. Well, if if we're pulling uh, wax packs heroes, I see a Mitchell report. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely part of it. No, his father. Oh, his father was uh, played several seasons in the NHL. Hmm. So uh, I was really hoping he'd be related to the wrestling family. <laughs> I don't think he could have been. We would have we would have talked about that a long time ago. Mm. All right. So you have got one left. Uh, you're, you're missing a Hall of Famer. I'll tell you that. OK, there's only two. No, there's three uh, Canadians in the Hall of Fame, I believe. Uh, one of which is Larry Walker, who we've mentioned. There are two others, though, that are in the Hall of Fame. Um, can I have like a half hour to think about it? I'm just kidding. <laughs> sure. Ferguson Jenkins? There you go. Fergie Jenkins. There's one of them. That's seven. Very nice. I was going to come back with Vince Horseman. But uh, <laughs> who's Vince Horseman? Oh, he was a pitcher for the A's in the nineties. Oh, I and, remember Vince Horseman. And I yeah. had not thought of him forever. And then it, something came across my timeline like last week, and I'm like, oh my god, Vince Horseman! I haven't heard that name forever, and uh, he's Canadian apparently. Wow. All right, so there you go. Very good. Uh, very. I, I don't know that I could have done that. Certainly not as easily as you did. Uh, some other players here of note: Russell Martin. I just thought of Ryan Dempster. Uh, yep, Ryan Dempster. 
Jason Bay. Oh, yeah. Jeez, that's an obvious one. Uh, Corey Kosky. I would have never known that he was Canadian. Hmm. Uh, well, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. How about that? <laughs> oh, well, yeah. Uh, Brett Laurie, uh, famous hothead. Uh, let's see, you said Ryan Dempster. Um, oh, Pete Orr. Do you remember him? I remember he came up with the uh, with uh, with Atlanta, I think. Uh, Pete Orr? Yeah. Infielder, utility guy. I just know him from working in, <laughs> in Atlanta. Oh, okay. uh, Josh Naylor. There's a current... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Player. John oh. Axford. There's another one I was thinking okay. of. Okay, I just saw it. Paul Quantrill. Paul Quantrill. Okay, there you go. Yeah, very nice. Paul Quantrill, actually the most games appeared in as a pitcher, uh, Canadian pitcher. Oh, really? Also, Riel Cormier. Now, I, I'm going to guess he's from Montreal or somewhere right around there. I used to have that guy in Strat. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Uh, Jordan Romano. There's a current uh, current player. Jeff Zimmerman. Didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Paul Spolarjic. Oh, Paul Spolarjic. Oh, yeah, I missed that how guy. did I not remember Rich Harden? I remember he's from Canada. Oh, wow. I mean, there's a, there's a looking at this list. Cal Quantrill, uh, who is uh, obviously Paul's son. Sure. Also. Uh, there's a good uh, number of names here that we've uh, mentioned before that uh, are from Canada. All right. Well, I'm going to give you. Well, I'm not going to give you credit. You got that. Uh, very nice. Ding, ding. All right. Uh, now we move on from the Canadian section. Uh, who took Cal Ripken's place at third base when he finally took a seat in 1998? Um, I believe it was Ryan Miner. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, yeah, Ryan Miner. He was supposed to. He was a stud out of the University of Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. He was drafted several times. Eventually, he he was first drafted in the 15th, then the 7th round, and then finally drafted in the 33rd and signed with the Orioles. But yeah, oh, wow. uh, only played four seasons in the big leagues. Uh, never broke, let's see, uh, four seasons, three with Baltimore. 2001, his final year was with Montreal, where he played in a career-high 55 games. A career 177 average, 228 on base. Just couldn't. Couldn't uh, convert the uh, the college career into the big leagues because uh, he was a stud in, in college. But, yeah, never was able to make it. So, all right, there's another one you've got. Very nice. Uh, next, second longest hitting streak after Joe DiMaggio's 56. Okay, you got me on this one. Uh, I honestly, the only other long hitting streak I can think of was when Pete Rose... All right, so the second longest hitting streak is Wee Willie Keeler. Oh, okay. Oh, no, I don't think I'd have come up with that. In 1897. Well, technically. (laughs) uh, So he hit hit in 45 straight games, but it was done between seasons. So he started at the end of the 1896 season and then continued through the start of the 1897 season. Which, frankly, is just oh, okay. as impressive as take you know to take a five or six month break and then pick right up where you left off. I mean, that's pretty yeah. good. Uh, let's see. Pete <laughs> Rose is got forty four. That was in nineteen seventy eight. Okay. Uh, a note okay. on Wee Willie Keeler though. Keeler had five hundred and seventy at bats in eighteen ninety, and he struck out twice. What? <laughs> Can you believe that? That is a two hundred and eighty five point oh zero. At bat to strikeout ratio. 
That's the best That's in baseball history. Yeah, that is incredible. <laughs> uh, let's see. Also, uh, this is a, a note that I thought was interesting uh, when it comes to uh, hit streaks and, and uh, Joe DiMaggio. Uh, among uh, the during the first season of Star Trek: The Next Generation, there is an episode titled "The Goodbye," "The Big Goodbye." And in it, Joe DiMaggio's streak was broken by a shortstop named Buck Bouquet of the London Kings in the year 2026. Uh-oh, they got to hurry and get that set up. Yeah, I was going to say, so I guess that, you know, the whole expansion question is half answered. <laughs> London gets a team in the next two years, and a shortstop who is yet to play a professional game will break his hit streak. There you go. Yeah. Uh, also, I wanted to mention uh, Joe DiMaggio. When he played for the San Francisco Seals when he was in the PCL, he yes. had a 61-game hitting streak yeah, I went. with a total of 104 hits during the streak. Goodness gracious. So that got me to look up his numbers when he played for the Seals. So he played for four years. The first year in 1932, he only appeared in three games. But 33, 34, and 35... He appeared in over 100 games in each. In 1933, he had 259 hits. <laughs> then in 1935, he had 270 hits. Goodness. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, those are some incredible numbers. No RBIs listed. Don't have, uh, don't have those numbers. Because I would love to see when you're, you almost have 300 hits, how many RBI you have. All right, so uh, let's go to number seven. I did not give you the, this question because it has to do with somebody that we just uh, talked about in, uh, in, the, in the last question. Uh, speaking of Wee Willie Keeler, how tall was Wee Willie? Boy, uh, what was considered Wee in the 1890s? <laughs> he was 5'6". No, that's a, that was a giant. Oh. Although Ty Cobb was 6'1". <laughs> I didn't know that he was 6'1", but he was a, a very large man at that point. What did I say? 5'6"? Five, 5'6". Six? Five, six. Was he 5'2"? Well, split the difference between your two answers. That would be math. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I was going to so. say, I shouldn't, I don't want to put you on the spot, but Wee Willie Keeler was 5'4". So, looking at other uh, famous height challenged individuals in the major leagues. Eddie Goodell, of course, is going to be the smallest at 3-7. I mean, he's in the baseball encyclopedia, but I'm not sure we can really count him as a big leaguer. Uh, next at 5-3 is uh, Pompeo DeVillo, a.k.a. Yo-Yo, and Stubby Magner, who are both 5-3. <laughs> and if Stubby Magner is not wow, just a stubby. great name for a 5'3 baseball player, I don't know what is. Stubby. Oh, that's a good name. Uh, just for uh, for reference here, Jose Altuve is 5'6". So that's probably where you got 5'6", because you okay. were always thinking about Altuve. All right. Uh, next question. Stab in the dark. <laughs> next question. Number eight. Uh, who holds the streak for consecutive games reached, uh, reaching base multiple times? So most consecutive games where you get on base more than once. Who holds it? I was going to say Ty Cobb. That is not correct. It's a good answer, but not correct. Ricky Henderson? Nope. That's a that's an even better answer in my book. But no, that is not <laughs> correct either. <laughs> I guess I don't know. All right. It's Ted Williams. Oh, 
Oh, oh, sure. Wow, wow. Yeah, sure. 1948. He did that in 21 straight games. He reached base more than once. Uh, he had a pretty good year that year as well. Uh, almost won the Triple Crown. Hit 369, 497 on base. That is just incredible. That's a that's down though from the prior year where he had a 499 on base percentage. That's ridiculous. I mean, listen to listen to this progression in in on base percentage from uh, 1941. He he re- had an on base percentage of 553. Huh. Then it dropped to 499. Then he went off and uh, flew jets for three years in the military, came back in 46, had a 497 on base, 499, and then 497 again. And he came in third in the all-star balloting, 44 doubles, 25 uh, home runs, 127 RBI. Just, uh, that's pretty incredible. But uh, let's see, Lou Bordeaux won the MVP that year, then Joe DiMaggio, and then Ted Williams. Bordeaux, okay. Bordeaux had a, a 10.4 war that year, <laughs> which uh, that's pretty incredible. Let's see, a 355 average, 453 on base, 18 home runs, 106 RBI. Wow. Okay, so he had 676 plate appearances. He struck out in a very Wee Willie-esque type effort nine times. And he walked 98 times. Jeez. Goodness gracious. In his 15-year Major League career, he walked 796 times and struck out 309. That's incredible. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah, nicknames Old Shufflefoot. <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. All right, so... um. All right, so you, you're kind of, you're struggled in these last two. You did really good up until these last two, but. Yeah. Okay, number nine, uh, Ronald Acuna Jr., inaugural member of the 7040 Club. I ask about the 2020-2020 Club. 20 doubles, 20 triples, 20 home runs, 20 stolen bases in a single season. Four members. I gave you one because uh, I don't think we've heard of Frank Schulte. I'm sure our listeners have, Uh, but he was the first to do it for the Cubs in 1911. There are three others of which have been named on this podcast many times for different things, but can you name any of them? So you got to think a couple guys come to mind. Yeah. You got to think power and speed. Right. And I don't think this is right, but I remember a year where Ryan Sandberg had a ton of triples. Yep, but uh, he did not have the other required, and and, and that was only I think eighteen triples or oh, thirteen. Okay. One of the two. It wasn't even twenty. But you are correct that that one outlier triple season. Okay, and then the only other guy I could think of was like early George Brett. Nope, um, nope. he is a member of the twenty 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 club. Oh, does not have the stolen bases. Yeah. In that season. But yeah, that was 1979. Um, That was a great year for him. Okay. One more guess. And again, I'm guessing Willie Mays. There you go. There's one of them. Okay. Yeah. Power speed. Uh, 1957, 26 doubles, 20 triples, 35 home runs, 38 stolen bases. (laughs) That's a pretty good year. Yeah. That's, that's a pretty good year. The other uh, so 1911 Frank Schulte, 1957 Willie Mays. Then you have to jump forward 50 years to 2007, where wow. the last two players both did it in the same year. 
Oh, wow. <laughs> Both Curtis Granderson and Jimmy Rollins. Oh, my gosh. So they both had 38 doubles. Grandy had 23 triples. J-Roll had 20. Granderson had 23 home runs. J-Roll 30. And then uh, the Grandy man had 26 stolen bases. And Rollins had 41. Wow. No, I, I those guys did not cross my mind. That's that's incredible, though, to, to go 50 years and then have two people do it in the same year. Yeah. But uh, no, you're definitely getting credit for that. Uh, very nice. Um, our final question here. Who is the last player to make their major league debut that has all five vowels and a Y in their name? Yes. <laughs> this I is... tried to come up with something, but um, I have no idea. I'm drawing a complete blank on this one. When I think of Y, the only person I think of is uh, Yoenna Cespedes. But he doesn't yeah. have doesn't have all the vowels. But um, also, you know, why doesn't have to be the first letter of the name. But the answer, as as far as I can tell, please uh, let me know if I have missed somebody. But in 2005, Unieski Betancourt made his major league debut. Oh, Unieski Betancourt? Really? Yep. That's yeah, Unieski, a uh, big signing out of Cuba for the Mariners. Never really lived up to all the hype. Let's see. Yeah. Unieski, five years in, or I'm sorry, nine years in the big leagues, five with the Mariners. We came up with three with Royals, two with the Brewers. Uh, let's see. One year he led the league in sacrifice hits with 10. <laughs> so that would That's be sacrifice awesome. bunts. Yeah. So, I mean, that was his first year in the national league. So yeah, I should have had that one. I should have got that one. Though. Ah, no, I, I, I can't, uh, I can't fault you for not knowing that. Now a little bonus here. Uh, the only player in Major League history without a vowel anywhere in his name was White Sox catcher Bra uh, Bird Lynn, B-Y-R-D-L-Y-N-N. Now, obviously, sometimes the letter Y is a, cons a consonant and other times it's a vowel. I, I found this rule that says uh, the letter Y is a consonant when it is the first letter of a syllable that has more than one letter. If Y is anywhere else in the syllable, it is a vowel. So since the Y is the second in both of these words, I think it's it's a it's a vowel. But gotcha. A bird limb, though. There you go. The unconventional uh, vowel-less name. Uh, bonus uh, question here for you, Marco. Which current player has the most consecutive consonants in their last name? Current players, consecutive consonants. Yep. And he, I don't know, he might be the, he might have the most uh, of all time. I don't know. Um, I'm trying to think of bizarre names. There's a few in baseball. No, oh, there's definitely a few. But I think my brain hurts from thinking too yeah. much. I'm not coming up with anything. <laughs> it's Paul Goldschmidt. Six consonants in a row. Goldschmidt, yeah. Yes, of course. All right. So there, you know what? You did it exceptionally well. Thank you. Uh, you Thank did, you. you was, did better than I was, would. Those were good questions. Yeah. I, now, sometimes I, I find some on other sites, but I came up with these questions off the top of my head as I was doing research and just kind of floating through baseball uh, media as I tend to do. Nice. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you again. I know we were a little bit late, but work calls and in, unless uh, somebody's going to pay me what I'm currently earning 
uh, at my, my other job to do this full time, it's going to happen sometimes. Just saying, if you want to pay me that, <laughs> I will just sit in front of the computer and write baseball things. But uh, regardless, uh, that's going to do it. Uh, if you want more of us, you can find uh, all our links down there in the show notes. It's uh, basically, if you just look for at two strike noise, TWO strike noise anywhere, uh, even like if you go into a, a five and dime store, you can probably find something that says two strike noise because our merch is everywhere, everywhere, uh, everywhere. But uh, somewhere that you cannot find at a uh, five and dime store, if there is such a thing anymore, uh, that makes me sound really old, uh, is our email address, though. Yeah, we have one of those. It's uh, you got to spell it. T.W.O. Two strike noise at Gmail dot com. All right. Uh, we look forward to hearing to everybody. And what the heck? Uh, if you want to, go ahead and look in the show notes and uh, give us a call and let us know uh, if you've ever caught a ball at a major league game. If you caught it, if you've got one, great. But I want to know if you caught it. And if you caught it, was it a home run ball? And was it during a game or is it during BP? I don't know. Let, uh, you know, call us uh, our number. You can leave us a number. Uh, leave us a message at 607 216 uh, just in case you were curious, that is the area code of uh, the Baseball Hall of Fame. Where, That's right. That's our location. Yep. Yeah, yeah. As far as we're in the basement. Yep. And if you want to write, uh, send an email about your caught foul ball oh, or yeah. home run ball, you can do that too. Yeah. Just get a hold of us. I mean, just you. There, there's a plethora, a cornucopia of ways that you can get a hold of us. Let us yes. know. Uh, about uh, about what kind of balls you've got at a game. All right, that's going to do it for this week. We will be back as soon as we darn well can, which will hopefully be next week. I don't know. It depends on whether I'm on the road or not. But uh, yeah, we'll see you on the next episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day. <laughs>